0: Well, it's so good to be here. And um, this week, I wanted to talk to you briefly about the Father's love. I know that um, we've talked for a few weeks about the Father's love, but tonight we're going to take it in a little bit of different, um, different track, if you want to call it that. The basis of faith is love because it says faith works by or through love so you can't have faith it's impossible to have faith that God is good if you don't have a certain level of understanding that he loves you God loves us so desperately that he literally is willing was willing to sacrifice himself his son to make a way for us to have a relationship with him. He created humans in his own image and likeness. He breathed his own spirit into them. And then they rebel. we, I say they, but it's really we, we rebelled against him. And we didn't appreciate what he had done for us. See, he gave them the whole garden, right? Y'all know the story. He put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he gave them the whole garden he said, you can eat of any tree you want in the whole garden. He gave him the whole garden. He said, it's all yours. Tend and keep it, which means trim it, pick it, do all that. You can do anything you want. It's all yours. But don't touch or don't eat of the fruit of that one tree in the middle, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day that you eat that tree that well, then you're going to be separated from me. And that's the definition of spiritual death is to be separated from the life giver that's God. So as he did that, Eve got deceived and she went ahead and ate the fruit and rebelled against God. And she was cut off from fellowship with God. And then Adam ate it and he was cut off. And God says, oh no, if I leave him in this garden... They're going to keep eating from the tree of life, and they're going to be separated from me forever. See, many times people think when they look at the garden and they read that story in Genesis 1, 2, 3, they think that God was angry and he tossed them out. I want to to take you on a different track. He wasn't angry with them and tossed them out he looked at them and said, if I don't get them away from the tree of life, they're going to be separated from me for eternity, and I'm never going to be able to have fellowship with them ever. So we have, we're going to have to devise a way to kill this mortal body and then resurrect it and defeat the enemy that way through one of them, and that's why they sent Jesus. In Genesis 3.15, it says... Uh, the seed of the woman, right? You remember that, that, that scripture, Genesis three fifteen. The seed of the woman, he, you shall bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. That's what God said to Satan right there in the garden. He no more than had one victory lap because he had just deceived Adam and Eve. He had one, the devil had one victory lap around the garden and God said, hey, 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 not so fast. I'm going to send my seed and he's going to crush your head. See why God devised a plan because he was unwilling to let man be separated from him forever. Cause if he had left him in the garden, they would, we'd still be separated from God. We'd be in the garden, eat from the tree, but we'd be doomed for eternity, separated from God. And it would have been Horrible. So what he did by kicking them out of the garden was actually an act of mercy and an act of love which allowed them to be subject to death in this life and then a resurrection. And by having Jesus come, he defeated the enemy, he defeated death, he defeated sin, so now we can have new life in Christ. That's how, that's, see, Those little things like, well, God was mad at him, so he tossed him out of the garden, those need to be debunked because God is not mad, and he is not mad at you tonight. God is not mad at you. If you think God's mad at you, I'm sorry, but you're incorrect in your assumption. He is not mad at you. Well, if God's not mad at me, why do I have all these problems in my life? Well, I can't answer that categorically for everyone simultaneously. However, I know one thing. God is not angry at you. All of God's anger was poured out on Jesus at the cross, and he is not holding your sins against you any longer. Amen? God is not holding your sins against you. He's not. Someone says, well, I'm sick because I sinned. Right now I'm fighting a cold, but it's not because I sinned, it's because I got exposed to a virus in my body. The awesome immune system that I have is currently battling against this whatever it is in my body, and I'm too stubborn to go to the doctor and find out what it is. Okay, That's reality. Okay, And if it's still there by next Monday, I'll go to the doctor and I'll figure out what it is. He'll give me some kind of antibiotic and it'll be gone in a day but I've just been stubborn and not wanting to take antibiotics. Just being real, okay? Now, could I have gone to the doctor last week and got an antibiotic? Probably. Um, But I just, I don't like taking antibiotics, so I've been trying to do it other ways, and I'm still battling it right now. But that's why I have a little hoarse voice. But I didn't sin. I'm not sick because I sinned. I'm, I'm battling this thing because... There's sickness and sin in the world. I got exposed to a virus somewhere. Here's the crazy thing. I sleep next to my wife every night and she's not sick, okay? So, I mean, I even kissed her the other day. I said, I don't think you should kiss me. She goes, I'm fine. She kissed me anyway. And she's still not sick. It's be- I don't, her immune system's stronger than mine. I don't know. But the point is this. This is not the result of sin. God is not punishing me. God is not punishing you With sickness. God doesn't punish us with sickness. God does not punish us, period. The punishment of sin has already been laid on Jesus. Now, the Lord will discipline us, but it's different. Y'all know the difference between discipline and punishment? I'll give you a quick, unprofessional. Definition or differentiation between discipline and punishment. Discipline is for the benefit of the individual. Punishment is to satisfy the anger of the administrator. That's punishment. I'm so mad. And if you start doing that in anger, that's punishment. It's very damaging, and you should never do that, and you might go to jail if you do that to your children. Okay, that's called punishment. Discipline is a calm response that's meant to change behavior, that's meant for the benefit of the recipient. That's discipline. Punishment is meant for the benefit or its its motivation is in anger toward the individual. So that's the difference. So God doesn't punish us. We might get disciplined. How does God discipline us? How does God discipline us? Does he discipline us with sickness? No. How's that for emphatic? God does not discipline us by making us sick. That is not true. Well, does God discipline us by making us have a car accident? No. He doesn't do that. Does he discipline us by breaking our arm? No. God does not do that either. How does God discipline us? It says he disciplines those he loves. Okay, So how does the Lord discipline us? Because it says that he disciplines those that he loves. So how does the Lord discipline us? The Lord disciplines us by his spirit, by the conviction in our heart where you did something and suddenly you know it was wrong and it's sideways inside of you. Anybody ever felt that? I hope so because it means that you're alive spiritually if you felt it, okay? That's how he disciplines us. He disciplines us, he's a spirit. He disciplines us in the spirit. That's how he disciplines us. So if we do something that's sideways, that's wrong, we are get convicted in our heart. And honestly, if you ignore that, you will be miserable, right? Anybody ever ignored it? I have it's miserable. And then you finally get it right and you go, oh, I'm glad that's over. But did he beat you up or take you to the woodshed and whip you? No, of course not. See, that's physical stuff. That's, That's flesh stuff. God is a spirit and he disciplines us spiritually. Now, if you continue to sin and continue to walk away from God, there may be negative consequences just from the principles of sowing and reaping, okay? I had, a, I had last week, I had the principles of sowing and reaping took place in my life. It wasn't God's judgment. It was just the principles of sowing and reaping. I was driving down US 31 by Grand Haven, south of Grand Haven, and I wasn't paying attention, and I was going 70 in a 55. I didn't mean to. I didn't realize. I wasn't even doing it on purpose. I just wasn't paying attention. And I was going 70, and I thought, I looked down, and I went, oh, I'm going 70. So I started slowing down. About the time I hit 65, I saw a cop sitting in the the, the median. He lights me up, pulls me over, and says, you know how fast you are going? I said, well, when I, when I noticed I was going 70, I started slowing down. Then I saw you when I was going 65. He goes, I clocked you at 70. I go, I, I agree, I was going 70. Your radar works longer than, I, than my eyes. That's what I said. I said, your radar works better than my eyes. And uh, he wrote me up, and so I got a ticket, it cost me $105 today. And you know what, that, that wasn't God's punishment. God's not mad at me. That's called sowing and reaping. I sowed disobeying civil law. I reaped having a fine. Okay? doesn't mean God's mad at me. I never felt condemned. I never felt anything. Felt a little embarrassed with a guy with a flasher behind me, you know, on the road. Um, But, oh well, I'll live. Okay? But that's just the law of sowing and reaping. You do some stuff, you're going to have negative consequences. But we can't assign... God's displeasure or anger, certainly not anger, toward us just because negative things are happening. See, God is not angry at the people in Houston. God did not desire 30 feet of water to come down out of the sky, and he did not categorically make that happen. There's a whole bunch of laws that are natural laws that are taking place high-pressure systems and low-pressure systems and hot air masses and cold air masses and so so forth. Most of the hot air masses are coming out of Washington, D.C., by the way. But <laughs> you'll get that in a minute. But, but, the, but the point of all that is that it's not a direct, oh, God's judging Houston. I, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. That's not how God works. Because if that works, if it works that way, why hasn't he judged that kook over in North Korea? You know what I'm saying? That doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense to say, oh, God is judging Houston. That's that's not healthy. It doesn't make any sense. So the the key is God isn't in the anger-punish-humans business. Hell is not God's desire for anyone. It's not God's desire that any one of the 7 billion people on planet Earth, it's not his desire that any of them be separated from him and go to hell. It's God's desire that all men would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Even the kook in North Korea, he would desire that that guy would bow his knee and get saved. Absolutely. There's no question about that. So, God's love is toward the entire world, every single person on the planet. He's not judging us. And many times when people make the assumption that God is angry or God is judging toward themselves or toward others, and sometimes someone will have something very bad happen in their life, and you'll see sometimes people go, hmm, wonder what they did. I would caution I would highly caution you from doing that because that's called judgment. And if you sow judgment, you'll receive judgment because that's the law of sowing and reaping and that works every time. So you don't wanna be on the giving end or the business end of judgment because you don't wanna receive it back. What you need is you need mercy. And when someone has something bad in their life or a challenge or something horrible going on in their life, Let's not level judgment against them or say, well, what the heck is wrong with them? No, rather say, how can I help them? How can I pray with them? How would I like to be treated if I was in their shoes, right? That's got to be our response. Our response has got to be, how would I want to be treated if that was me? If that was me, how would I want someone to talk about me online if that was me? And that's how, we need to, that's how we need to act. That's how we need to, to really position ourselves because God's love is toward us. He, he wants desperately to have a relationship with us and he wants you to know that he loves you today and that he's not mad at you. He has no designs on hurting you at all and he wants you to be in relationship with him and he wants you to be well. See, if you then being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who love him? See, if we know how to take care of our kids, how much more does God know how to take care of us? See, we've got to realize that we are not more righteous than God. We are not more righteous than God. God is more righteous than us. And he wants to have a relationship with us. Romans eight fifteen says, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, which is Daddy. It's an endearing term of relationship. It's not a distant, authoritative person, but rather a loving, kind person. That's the endearing term. It's the spirit where, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. God is not an abusive parent. He's not one that does things to people because they get out of line. It's not like he has this ruler. I know some people have a picture of a, of a teacher or a nun or somebody with a ruler, and as soon as you get out of line, they whack you across the back of the hands, right? Right? that is not a good picture of God. That's not how he is. He's not waiting for you to get out of line so he can smack you. He's waiting for you to get to to continue in line. And when you get out of line, he goes, ooh, they're out of line. Holy Spirit, nudge them back in. Get them back on track. Nudge them. Give them a nudge. And the Holy Spirit gives us a nudge. And he goes, Holy Spirit, give them another nudge. And he gives you another nudge. And the Holy Spirit might have to give you another nudge. And I think he nudged me for about five years give him another nudge and, and eventually you wake up and you go oh my goodness what have I been doing see that's God's plan God's plan is for you to get right with him to understand that he has a great plan for you and not one that's bad it's God's will for us to be healthy you know that It's God's will for me to be healthy. Well, here you are with a scratchy voice telling us it's God's will for us to be healthy. It is God's will for us to be healthy. It's God's will for me to be healthy. Am I walking in God's perfect will right now? No. But it's still God's will for me to be healthy. How do I know that? If it wasn't God's will for us to be healthy, why did he give us an immune system? Tell me. Why would he give us an intricate, amazing immune system that if our immune system wasn't operating properly, we would all be dead in 30 days? Do you realize that? Or less? If your immune system shuts down, do you realize what AIDS is? A-I-D-S? AIDS is Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome. That's what it stands for. Okay? It's not just a disease that bad people get. It's a Disease that's acquired immune deficiency syndrome. What do, do those people that have AIDS live t- typically? No, why? Because their immune system is compri- compromised. That's why they use the word deficiency because it's deficient, their immune system is deficient, and because their immune system is deficient, they usually die of something other than their disease. They die of something else typically because they can't, their body can't fight off the disease. A bacteria, an infection, a virus gets into their system and they can't fight it off. So it's God's will for us to be healthy. And how do we need to pray? Well, the Lord tells us in the Lord's Prayer. He tells us, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> I'm going to stop right there. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, is there any sickness in heaven? I'll answer that for you. No. Is there any death in heaven? No. Is there any malfunction of organs in heaven? No. None of that's in heaven, and that's God's will for us on the earth. Now, is God's will automatic in the earth? If God's will was automatic in the earth, why would he say, why would Jesus tell us to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If his will was automatic in the earth, why would God tell us to pray that his will be done? Because it's not automatic. God's will is not automatic. We have to go to God's word and enforce God's will with his word in the earth in your life. Faith begins where the will of God is known. So you know that the will of God is for you to be well. You know that the will of God is for you to have a good marriage. You know that it's the will of God for you to have kids that love Jesus and, and are pushing into the kingdom of God and they're, they're reaching their destiny and they're making a difference in God's kingdom. That's God's will. So faith begins where you know the will of God. Well, you know, the, let's just use healing. Healing because it's just right here, and it's easy. It's a great example. We know it's God's will for us to be well, but sometimes our experience and God's will don't line up, and that's where the application of the word comes in, where we need to apply God's word, and we need to apply wisdom to, to bring our experience and God's will closer together, and eventually where they, where they meet, and they're the same but it, it, just because your experience doesn't exactly line up with God's will does not mean that it's not God's will. It is God's will for you to be well, even if your experience is otherwise at the present time. It's still God's will. There was a time, and this, this was a very difficult time in my life, in 2000, so this 17 years ago, Is about right now, actually, this time of the year, um, my brother-in-law, who was a very dear friend of mine, it's my sister's husband. He had been he had been dealing with um, hepatitis C, and uh, at that time there was no. Right now, they have better medical treatments for Hep C now, um, but at the time there was no treatment for Hep C the only thing they could do was the liver transplant. And he was on the list and he had had it for like 12 years and we were praying for him and going over to his house and believing God for him and, and walking with him. And we walked with him and walked with him. He ended up at U of M Hospital. And we walked with him, walked with him. And on October 10, he went home to be with the Lord on October 10, 2000. And eight days later, I had to preach a message on healing. You don't think that was a hard day, huh? huh? And you don't think the devil was in my ear going, Oh, yeah, Mr. Man of Faith and Power, whose brother just died? What good are you? You need to sit down, shut up, and never preach again. That's what I was hearing in my ears, okay? I was hearing, Sit down, shut up, and you just go be an accountant somewhere. That's all I could hear in my head. The reality is our experience. Has nothing to do with the validity of God's word. I got up and I preached eight days later, and it's probably the best message I ever preached because I preached out of my pain and I said, I know I didn't, we didn't didn't just get what I know God's will is. I know we just got ripped off. My brother's not here, his kids don't have a dad, and that's terrible. 17 years. <sighs> anyway, that's terrible. But God is still God. God is still true. And I'm going to preach this word no matter what, because it's true. My experience neither validates nor invalidates God's word. God's word stands on its own. He doesn't need me to validate it. And not everything in life works out all roses and peachy keen all the time. But God is still good. And his word is still true. (laughs) Sometimes you sit there and you go, what the heck? Right? I've said what the heck to God before. And he just kind of goes... I understand. He sees things from a different perspective and he doesn't place blame. He doesn't say, Well, if you'd have done these eight things better. Never heard that once from the Lord. Heard it from some people, but we just ignore them. But I never heard it from the Lord. See, we got to know that it's God's will and you got to realize that you have to fight for it, that it doesn't just happen. God's will doesn't just happen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The, the, in the original languages, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is, how it, this is how it plays out. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema, which is the alive, spoken, quickened, word of Christos, which is the anointed one and his anointing. So I'll say it in the, in the Greek transliteration here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the spirit-quickened word under the anointing. It's the spirit-quickened word under the anointing. It's not just the logos. It's not sleeping with a Bible under your pillow. It's listening to the word of God until the Holy Spirit brings it to life and it goes boom on the inside of you. Then you have faith. Anybody ever been reading your Bible? You read your Bible, you read the same verse a hundred times. Finally, the hundredth time you read it and you go, oh my. Anybody ever had an oh my experience? I hope so. It's awesome. What you just experienced was rhema. You just experienced a spirit-quickened word when you have the oh my, where was that all my life, right? And that's the Holy Spirit being the teacher that he is. And that's where we need to focus. We need to let the word of God dwell in us richly and let the word be in us and be in us and be in us and let the word go in so much that the Holy Spirit's got something to work with so he can blow on it and bring it to a flame on the inside of you. But if you don't ever put the word in, he's got nothing to work with. You gotta put the word in. We have a responsibility Faith comes by hearing, but doubt, discouragement, and depression come from hearing, too. If all you ever do is think about your diagnosis, you aren't going to have faith. doesn't mean you deny it. You just merely don't focus all your attention on it. Because your faith is not static. Your faith is like, your, faith is like this. It's like a boulder, and you're pushing the boulder uphill. Anybody ever made a huge snowman? We used to make, used to make huge snowmen. Those huge snowmen and those, those big boulders, we'd make them this big. And when you're pushing those big, bol- those big snowballs, man, it's, it's a lot of work. And we've had them already. We're pushing them uphill, and all of a sudden, whoa, they come back on you, right? They roll back. That's what faith is. Faith is pushing a big snowball up a hill, and you have to continually keep pushing it. You have to keep, keep at it. It's not just, oh, I read my Bible three months ago. I'm good. No, we need to. It says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So as often as you eat, you should have the word of God. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good rule. As often as you eat, you should have the word of God because that's food for your spirit. So relying on experience will short-circuit any faith that you have. If, if, if you just rely, well, if I can't see it, then it's not real. You're not going to have any, you're not, you're not going to get there. Relying on your, on your experience will set you up to be God's judge. And that's a very bad idea. When we set ourselves up as God's judge... We set ourselves up like Job did. And that's never a good idea to set yourself up as God's judge. Uh, and and when, when, when terrible things happen and when things don't turn out the way we'd like them to turn out and the way that everybody and their brother would say, yeah, they should turn out this way. When things don't turn out the right way, seemingly, it's easy to get into why God, why, or you know, what the heck or whatever you might say. But when we do that, it sets us up to, to judge God's performance, and that's not a very good idea. It also sets the stage for the blame game. And I would say this, whenever something negative happens, when, when, there's a, when we take a big hit, when my brother-in-law died, it was a bad, bad deal. He was 42 years old. Totally wrong that he died. I get it. It's set up a blame game for some of my family members and some of the people that loved him. Why didn't God heal him? Well, here's the reality. In reality, God provided for his healing 2,000 years ago. So let's just get that settled right now. Well, why didn't he have enough faith? Stop it right now. Don't go there. Well, why didn't you have enough faith? They said to me. I said, I did everything I know to do and my hands are clean. I don't know what to tell you. But the point is this. The blame game is never a good idea. And if you ever have someone try to pull the blame game on you, lovingly tell them to shut their trap. (laughs) Lovingly, if it's possible. But just say, zip it, buddy. You're speaking foolishness. Because the blame game doesn't help anybody. It only hurts people. And it's pointless. Our job is to share the gospel, the results are up to God, and we cannot judge the results, and we can't judge, judge God based on the results, we can't. We aren't, we aren't qualified to judge God. This is the question that I have said to family members when their family member died. This is what I've said to them over the years. I've said, would you take credit if that person had received their healing? Would you stand up and say, yes, I prayed for them and they were healed because of my great anointing. Would you say that? Because if you would, I'm going to run away from you because I'm afraid of what might happen to you. If you wouldn't say that, if you wouldn't take the credit, you can't take the blame. If you wouldn't take the credit, you can't. Take the blame for anything that is going on, or whether something happened or didn't happen, you can't take the blame. What happens when, when if you blame a person, it's very damaging to that person, and and it's going to disrupt all kinds of relationships. If you blame God, it's going to separate you from God. It's going to make God seem unreliable, distant, unpredictable, and mysterious. And He is none of those things. Did you hear that? I'm going to repeat that. If we blame God, it makes him seem unreliable, and he is reliable. It makes him seem distant, and he's our ever-present help in time of need. Makes him seem unpredictable, and he watches over his word to perform it. And it makes him seem mysterious, and he's not mysterious. He's shown us his will, and he's played out his will in scripture in front of us. He, who he is, is he is our loving father and he loves us desperately. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not upon your own understanding. We need to trust the Lord and not lean upon our own understanding. We've got to trust in the Lord with all our heart. So we've got to be aggressive Mark, Matthew eleven twelve. 12, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What does that mean? It means you get a hold of God's word and you g- aggressively grab a hold of God's word and start putting God's word in your mind, in your heart, in your mouth right now. Start it. Get a hold of Bible verses and start putting them up on the wall. Start putting them up on your mirrors. Start putting them up. Be a fanatic. Put God's word everywhere. Be aggressive. Be repetitive. Say, Be repetitive. I'll say it again. Be repetitive. I'm being repetitive about being repetitive. There you go. Romans 10, 17. And be active. Be doer of the word, not just a hearer only. Be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. We've got to get a hold of God's word, put it in our heart, make it alive, make it part of our life, make it part of our daily life, and grab a hold of it and not give up resist the temptation to blame God for things. You know, every everywhere you look and if, if you, you can't even hardly go on social media because it's just, you know, people saying silly things. So, so I, I don't even have a Facebook page for that very reason. But um, you see all these silly things being said by people, and I'm like, I, you know, I, I read sometimes my wife's stuff, and I go, not the stuff that she writes, but stuff that's on the pages, and I go, where did that come from? That's not even biblical. But there's a lot of that out there. What you've got to do is you've got to go to the word and not people's opinions, not people's accusations about why did God kill all those people in Houston? God didn't kill all those people in Houston. Nature is nature, there's laws that are set into motion. And, you know, just as a side note, you know, I, there's a lot of people that were praying. Specifically, we prayed here last week about Hurricane Irma. And, you know, Hurricane Irma was still a very, very violent storm. But, you know, when it, when it came right down to it, it didn't do nearly the damage that they, that they um, predicted that it would be. And I believe that was a direct result of all the people praying and believing and speaking and really had their faith out there to protect their, their loved ones and people that were out there. I know my, my sister lives right in Jacksonville. There's floods all over the place. I called her, talked to her yesterday. She said, we don't have any flooding. We're good. We have not, not, even a, not even a tile off the roof. We're good. And she's right there in Jacksonville. There's flooding all over the place. Her house is just, it's good. And I'm like, wow, thank you, Jesus. I got another sister that lives in Tampa. She has no damage to her house. They still don't have electricity, but no damage. And they were in the, they decided to stay when it was in the evacuation zone. I was like, you really want to stay? She goes, we have peace, we're staying. I said, okay, we'll believe with you then. See, so I'm not saying that if their house had gotten torn down I would still be saying God's good and God's word is true. But thank God, they were fine, okay? But my point, my, my, I'm gonna reiterate my point, and that is this, God is good. God loves us. His word needs to be in our hearts. And if faith comes by hearing, and when you've got things in your life that need, that need God's touch, go to the word, get agreement from someone, And let's stand on the word together. And standing on the word together gets results. It really will. Say, does it work every time? Uh, uh, Not every single time does everything manifest exactly the way I'd like it to manifest. I mean, that's, that's reality. But you know what? I can't control some things. But many, most of the time, when we pray and agree on God's word, it's there and it happens. And that's reality. And there's a lot of variables that happen in people's lives and people's agreement and different things that all come into play. But the reality is God is true. And God's word is true. God's word is more true than any experience any of us have ever had or ever will have. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reality of your word. That, Father, heaven and earth are going to pass away. This whole world is going to be gone, melted in fervent heat, but your word will still be there. That's how sure your word is. It's more sure than anything we see, more sure than anything in this world. Your word is sure. So we thank you for your word. We build our house not on circumstances, not on ideas or ideals. We build our house on the rock of your word. And we thank you that when we build our house on your word, it won't fall when the floods come and the rains come down. We'll be the wise builder who builds on your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Build our house on the word.